Well, it's Scary Shark Week here on Movies Are Good because we're talking about the Meg 2 and the absolutely tragic Shark Exorcist and we're trying to figure out which one's worse. But we're also talking about Talk To Me because an Australian export hasn't gotten Hollywood this excited since Margot Robbie. And we're also ranking TikTok horror movie recommendations because I hate myself. So stick around, you degenerates! Movies are good, folks. The Meg, too, though. Um, well, I could say it's not a good movie. But then I'd have to be admitting that it's an actual movie. And I'm just not sure about that one. <laughs> so hear me out, okay? We did the Meg, which was Jason Statham fighting a big, big shark. All right? Already way bigger than any shark in a shark movie, like, ever. <laughs> so for a sequel, what could we possibly do to make the sequel better? Bigger. Ah, I see. We make the shark even bigger, or we have more of them, or we add in other deep sea monstrous creatures to come out and fight, or we can do all of that. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good, I guess. So Jonas is back in action, and he's like, at the beginning, he's taking photos of people dumping toxic waste into the ocean, just because, I don't know, that's also water, like, stuff. <laughs> it's, it's like he's an environmental spy now. I, I don't know why, but he's also raising the teenage daughter of the girl he got with last film, who's dead. Yeah. Um, and he's famous, just in general, for fighting the last Meg. So he's pretty busy. But we're just going to ignore all of that, skip through it very quickly, and start doing dives. Yeah. Oh, and quick quick bit of information. There's a baby Meg in captivity. They don't explain how they manage that crap, but, you know, whatever. It's just, okay, these are just all the random expository things, and if I feel like I'm just throwing them at you, that's because the film just throws them at you, okay? It's just random, it just happens, and then they just go, right, so we're going to dive to keep exploring, because that's what they've been doing. They, they just keep diving down into that area, not worrying about bringing more mags back up. I don't know how they figured how to not bring more bags back up, but whatever. And uh, and they've been exploring slowly the whole trench thing that they went, oh, there's a trench in the last movie. Yeah. Now that's the whole movie, basically, and it's, yeah, it's a lot. So, the bags they find this time when they dive down are even bigger. But fortunately, they have G.I. Joe-style super suits. So they'll just use those. Only in, like, the first act, not... Not for, like, the finale when they're actually fighting all these things. That, yeah. Um, anyway. <laughs> that's just that's just not important. I uh, the, There are some, you know, really good moments in... <laughs> There's some great moments, yeah, in the, in the opening act. Like, when the, the kid is talking to the captive Meg. They've got this captive baby Meg. Um, and she says the line, Do you miss your mom, big fish? I just feel like the emotional impact of that was somewhat lost on me, you know, just didn't really grip me with the power of them feels, you know? And maybe that's just because I've never I've never lost my mother or been a giant giant megalodon in captivity. I I, I don't know. I don't know. But either way, what the fuck? 
I feel like there's things like that. They started teasing this whole, like, connection that the, the teenage girl could have with the baby Meg, and then, no, ignore that, threw that out. And they had the whole bit in the opening where they were like, oh, yeah, um, all of this stuff happening with the trench is really important, and there's really big things we can learn from this, and then, no, they just kind of throw that out and ignore it all. It is a brutal mess, this whole film. I gotta say, it is ridiculous ridiculous how uh badly just put together it feels i i I feel like 20 writers were working on this and all had different ideas and instead of just putting one of them in charge or assigning one of them to to take control over all the ideas they just kind of put them all in and it's just awful yeah um every inch of the overly far overly complicated story they, it's just terribly written and executed. Even if you just completely turn off your brain, it it just still isn't that interesting or exciting, which is a particularly sad indictment for these kind of films. I'm I feel like I'm pretty good at switching off my brain when I realize, oh damn, it's time to switch off your brain, and that's what I did with the first Meg, and I enjoyed it. You know, I I knew how dumb it was, but I was still able to enjoy it. I think I've rewatched it a couple times maybe since it came out, and I've never you know, extra rolled my eyes. <laughs> you have to roll your eyes at some bits, but it, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's excusable, the stupidity. This one, wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, basically, they go down. They get sabotaged because there are, you know, human villains courtesy of a Scooby-Doo level plot. Actually, it's kind of dumber than a Scooby-Doo level plot. Um, there's Megs that are just bigger, and there's more of them. They really missed a, a beat in not calling this one the Megs, but yeah, whatever, fuck you. Um, <laughs> the whole plot is they go down into the trench. There's human villains, this dumb Scooby-Doo mystery over who betrayed them that is oh so obvious. They crash and get fucked up, then they do this segment where they walk around at the bottom of the trench in these mech suits. It wasn't good. It was just badly done. It was meant to be thrilling and creepy, but it was just it was just badly done. And the lighting throughout that whole sequence was awful. Um, there are also just so many bits of things that this does to try and dial back the violence so that they could get the PG-13 rating. And it, oh, it feels dumb. The, the excessive violence and blood of the first one was just kind of... I don't know, it just gave it an extra oomph that is now just vanished it's been it's been sanitized and it's that's annoying but it could have survived that if it was you know well written or something but yeah it's not um it really was annoying how much of the time they spent down in the trench because there was one sequence really i think it was only one where the mags are the thing that's going on or that they're fighting and the rest of the time they were dealing with the human villains and the betrayal and the crash and and then walking around this underwater mining facility trying to figure out how to get back to the surface, like, for the first hour, at least, the Megs were barely a factor in the film. <laughs> it's it's named after them, but it just was not a factor. Um, but yeah, yeah. So, the budget, it seems like it was pretty similar level to the first film, but it feels like they just, I don't know, they just blew it this time on other, on cocaine or shit, I don't know, because, <laughs> because there's just no excuse for the lack of, for so long of the big creatures that were actually kind of here to see them fight, you know? Um, but then they managed to come back up because the mining guys blew this big hole in the trench so they can just 
they can just get back up now, whatever, and things can follow them. So three Megs follow them up, and you're kind of like, okay, the, the last film they had a big Meg in the finale, and they had to fight it and kill it, and that was hard. So three Megs, great. No, 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 because <laughs> they also bring back a Kraken. Just because they've been exploring the trench for five years, never seen one, never seen it. But a Kraken follows them back up. And also these, like, I don't know, water amphibian demon dog looking things. Just so that there's something that can also attack them on land. Whoa. Even though those... they, This whole time... Hmm. <laughs> so they live in the trench. They're, they're amphibious creatures, but they live in the trench. Way thousands, thousands and thousands of meters underwater. And have done for, for like, millennia. You know, for thousands, millions of years, because these creatures have never been seen by humans before. But they're amphibious and don't have a problem getting up on land. Cool. Um, does evolution... No, okay, does... No, don't, don't, don't question it. Don't question it, don't question it. <laughs> um, and all of this, of course, leaves the third act to be even worse of a hodgepodge of random crap happening than the first hour was. I feel like there was a better film lurking in this if they'd actually rushed a lot of the starting crap and made that last half hour into 90 minutes. Like, that should have been the film, is that they get to this island, which is... It was like a Chinese island called, like, Fun Island or something. And, um... And, yeah, they, they're, like, trying to evacuate and help people escape while they go to fight the three mags and then the Kraken and the, the other side characters are fighting these weird demon dog things on land. Like, it feels like you could have made that a lot more of the film than you did and it would have been just better because it was just action-packed continuously for that last half hour you could have dragged that out i wouldn't have had a problem with it much better than dragging out that whole bit in the trench i don't care that the trench is in the title of the film just you don't have to spend that much time there you just didn't it was boring um but yeah yeah they spent a lot of time meandering around the bottom of the ocean and all that is crap jonas gets back up and then he just kind of like last film that was the whole thing. Like, God, can you actually kill a mag that size? Whoa, what'll take it out? This film, Jonas just grabs these three harpoons <laughs> that are like, they have like explosives attached to them or something. And yeah, I, I, he takes out uh, two of the mags, I think, that way. <laughs> like, it's really, it's not that difficult for him. He's just kind of doing that intermittently while the way too many side characters that are still alive at this point just kind of gallop around and it's kind of just... It's silly and funny more than it ever is actually threatening to any of the main characters. <laughs> you know? We, we got rid quite quickly during the, the trench bits of all the characters we don't care about. And then the film went, ah, but do we need threat in the final act or do we need just fun silliness? And I mean, I guess I can't complain because it's down to a PG-13 rating. So that's kind of always what it was going to be. Um, but it is, it is so silly. It's just, and, and they're just running about. Just so indiscriminately, so randomly, people just show up in a scene. And it's just like, oh, yep, yeah, okay, we're in this scene. It feels like there wasn't a script, basically, for the last half hour. It was nuts. Um, but yeah, uh, the human villains as well, <laughs> I should mention, because one of them still kind of plays a bit of a factor in the third act, but the other two major human villains just kind of get taken out by the monsters in really random out-of-nowhere scenes. I, I think the screenwriter just kind of, oh, shit, yeah, we're not really doing anything with the human villains now. <laughs> they were they were way more of a focus in the first hour than 
the monsters. But once you've got all the monsters around the island and we're fighting them, it's like, yeah, let's just dump the human villains. And they really did. They just dumped them hard. And that was, it just felt really dumb as well. That So it just upset me. Um, but anyway, yeah. The, I don't know. I don't know. The whole, the whole ending sequence, it feels like a fever dream of crap. It is just really so terrible and it's just so many random things happening. And the way that most of it plays off for comedy over any real threat feels like it's the shittiest Jurassic Park movie ever instead of... Well, I was going to say instead of a Meg movie. It, it doesn't feel like that either. The, the Megs, multiple, are one of three threats. And, and on top of the three different threats, there's the human mercenaries. And all of that is against our main guys at the end. And nobody we like even dies through it. There are too many individual uh, ridiculosities to point out. <laughs> I had to make up a new word for it. Um, so I'll just give up admonishing this film any further. There's no point. It's completely shameless. It does not care about anything but money. Though I really don't even think it's going to get enough of that to break even this time. The best way to describe this as is it's the ultimate failure of sequels that are far too Hollywood. It feels so American. It literally just made the monsters bigger and did more of them and added new species for no reason, making the ultimate random cacophony of shite. So I'm giving the mags, the kraken, the demon dogs and me two out of ten. Moving on, though, the other major new release I want to talk about this week, we've got so many TikTok horror recommendations I got and... I, I want to go through them all in a big ranking, so I kind of only handling two big new films this week. We'll catch up next week, maybe. But, talk to me. Now, people have been way into this film since it was released, and I was looking forward to checking it out. Although my first instinct was that this might be another Smile. That came out, Smile came out last year, and everybody raved over it. And then when I saw it, I went, what the hell? <laughs> this, this is the same thing we've seen a million times before. It was just a very commonly built demon curse gets transferred to you you run around trying to figure out how to stop it it gets you <laughs> and it had been done so many times before and i found it so silly that people were raving over it when it was just it was the same thing we've seen a bunch of times not even executed that well however talk to me felt different pretty quickly it it really had a fascinating pace to it yeah, there's this girl, she's got a dead mom, mom is dead, dead mom, yes, and uh, she goes to a party with her friends where they've got this hand, and they've been touching the hand, which lets them see spirits, and then they let the spirit possess them, but never for longer than 90 seconds, you cheeky lot. <laughs> so yeah, it's Flatliners, I mean, I mean, it is Flatliners, it's a bunch of young people who are getting a drug-like thrill from experiences with supernatural forces, instead of with dying, but there ended up being something kind of supernatural white Flatliners anyway. Here's the thing, I don't mind, because, you know, you have to say specifically Flatliners, whereas with Smile, it was ripping off a million different horror films we've seen before, and Flatliners, despite happening and then getting remade 20 years later, never really got it right, you know? It's a shake-up to that formula of that, and it's kind of better than either Flatliners was. Um, anyway, they let their friend's younger brother touch the butt, I mean, touch the hand, and he gets possessed by our main girl's mum, who is dead. I don't know if you remember that. It's the whole film, is that her mum is dead. And then she tries to talk to her mum, but doesn't let the spirit out, and the kid gets possessed by something worse, and it bashes his face in! Hooray! I will say I was shocked. It took half the film, over 45 minutes, before the shit started to kind of hit the fan. And even then, nobody died. 
This was a really strangely paced movie, but I enjoyed it. It did creepy things and weird stuff, but chose to leave the big whoa moments for the final act. And it managed to do all that without ever feeling dull for the whole first hour, which is particularly impressive. The other thing is, it's Australian all the way. The whole cast, really, I think, is Australian. And not a lot of known quantities besides Miranda Otto as one of their moms. And I really liked that. You know, the, the horror genre isn't really a place for well-established names most of the time. And this didn't try to bring in the hottest new stars or anything when it didn't need to. It was allowed, because of that, to just kind of focus on the story instead of brushing the egos of any upcoming stars who wanted a, a bigger part or anything like that. So yeah, the main girl now thinks she can establish contact with dead mom safely. What a twat. <laughs> what about that experience didn't make her think she should stay away from the hand at all costs? I don't know, but okay. So she contacts her mom and everything is fine until it obviously is not. Because the kid who got his face bashed in is still in the hospital, still possessed, and now everything's going wrong. And then she finds out that he's being, like, brutally tortured in hell in the most horrible ways while his body is possessed like this. So, <laughs> it's messed up. It's creepy, and it's really nicely done. And also, maybe a good time to point out how smart this is of them. The hand is fine, then it's not. Leads to possession. There are different ways to handle this. And it will be easy for them to create as long-running a franchise as their little hearts are so desperately desiring. I've heard they're already making a sequel called Talk To Me. <laughs> the number two. Ah, they have that one waiting in their back pockets, all right. So yeah, it's an amazing allegory for drugs, and it will surely have like eight different entries in the next ten years. I have no doubt. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's a good way of handling that kind of allegory to drugs while also being like a good horror movie and i feel like this it, it kind of kept it simple okay as much as we complain that sequels always just try to make things bigger i feel like there's room to go a bit bigger on this one because it did just keep to a very simple story you know so i'm i'm not going to write off at least the first sequel into being like terrible random crap immediately because this was really well built and left a lot on the plate i think as far as like things you could do differently with this concept so yeah um but the end i mean the ending it's it's just one shocking heartbreak after another it is brutal and that's when you really realize that this is just, it's not an ordinary horror movie. It really managed to set itself apart in some nice ways, in some stunning ways. If there is one thing about my expectations for this film that I would have gotten the most wrong before going in, it's that final 20 minutes. I could never have guessed from any of the promotional material where this was going to end up. It's a genuine contender for one of the best horror movies of 2023 for me, and it was directed by a pair of YouTubers. <laughs> I only found that out after watching it. I didn't know them but yeah, a pair of YouTubers made this. So let's go. The sky is a limit. My dream of making a dumb horror movie about a shark that's also a priest is still on. Anyway, talk to me. It was shockingly awesome. And I'm giving it a strong 8 out of 10. Wait a second. This movie is terrible. <laughs> you know why I do movies are bad? Because it's good to get some perspective. You know, when you see a film like The Meg 2, <laughs> it's easy to think, oh, this is terrible. It's it's like, a, it's like a 1 out of 10, right? And it's not until you compare it to films like Shark Exorcist. Yes, that's right. 
Shark Exorcist. That you realize, oh no, there's films like this that are so egregiously awful that it helps you to find, uh, you know, true joy in your love of cinema again. And you know what? I kind of still think The Meg 2 is total crap, but this is even worse. <laughs> so hear me out, okay? Actually, don't. Run away. Run away. Don't You don't want your ears to bleed from hearing a description, even, of this film. So there's a demonic nun. Yep. <laughs> Wait for it. And she kills this lady and then sacrifices the lady's body to the ocean, begging Satan to send a demonic avenger. I don't know what for. Please don't ask me. Don't ask me anything about this film, even after watching it in its entirety and pausing at moments to try and puzzle out what was going on, I still don't understand most of what the film is about, okay? It is ridiculous. It is so nuts. They're just... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. So... <laughs> After that demonic nun scene, there's these three girls who go to a lake. Not the ocean, it's a lake. And one of them gets attacked by this shark. Not killed! <laughs> it's a full-ass giant shark, okay? But it just bit her a tiny bit or something. And she heals real fast, and then starts enjoying soaking in her tub a little too much. <laughs> No, I'm serious. I'm serious. It's very unclear if she ever actually turns into the shark, but she starts leading unsuspecting people into the lake and then going underwater and then the shark eats the person. So so she might just be summoning it. It, it gets mildly clearer later in the film, but not really. I'm not quite sure what's happening there, okay? <laughs> I'm, I'm not. Anyway. <laughs> Meanwhile, a priest gets notified because one of the unsuspecting people she led to the lake and killed was his brother. Uh, he won't really show up again so much until like two-thirds of the way through the film, but he's been notified. That's the main thing, okay? <laughs> oh, and then there's this scene where, where there's these women, and they're performing some sort of, like, demonic ritual. It it was totally unexplained. The women do not appear again. I truly have no idea what the fuck that was. <laughs> I, I, I don't. This film has so many characters, and such a surprising lack of information. That's one of the things about these terrible movies. One of the things they reliably do, even if they make no sense while doing it, is have a lot of scenes where there's a lot of exposition about what's happening. You know? Killer Sofa. Night of the Were-Rooster. These films had enough explanation that you knew what was going on, even though what was going on was so insane it didn't make any sense. This one, no. Doesn't even try. And that is surprising. It instead just has a lot of really random, really long scenes. Every single scene. The whole film is less than 70 minutes long. It's less than 70 minutes long. And yet, every scene feels so ridiculously dragged out. Oh my god. So that means that, oh, they've just introduced these three college girls, and two of them are pledging the sorority that the third one's in. Okay, 
and then they go to the lake, and you're like, what does this have to do with the rest of the film? And then they get killed by the shark. And it's just like, okay, so it was just meant to be a random extra shark murder scene where none of the other characters from the rest of the film are in it. But it, it lasts, like, like seven or eight minutes. Like, it's long. <laughs> and bizarrely so. Uh, and that's the problem with the whole film. It's just a hodgepodge of random scenes. Some of them have the characters who I, I guess are the main characters. I think I think the majority of the scenes don't, though. Uh, there's some scenes where this main girl who knows the girl that's possessed gets help from the priest late in the film. Uh, there's some scenes where the girl's who's possessed sister, she's like at this carnival with the girl's boyfriend or something. And then the possessed girl turns up and, and goes like full vampire, by the way. It's like, oh, she's got a lot of like scary looking teeth. She's possessed by the shark, but it just makes her look like a vampire. And she's just stalking young, sexy people late at night in a carnival. So like, you know, not important, not important. <laughs> oh, there's also a paranormal investigator who gets like possessed as well. And her rival, who's like a ghost, a ghost myth buster or something that like, <laughs> there are, there are so many characters and there's so little logic. Uh, I don't understand. I don't feel like there was a script for this movie. I just don't. It seems like they just kind of did it on the fly. And most of the lines that the actors come out with make me believe that too. Yeah. I don't get it. I This film, by the way, I found out after watching it, it had a budget of $300,000. And I think the director just kind of gave every attractive woman who turned up to the auditions like $10,000 to just appear in like five minutes of the film in a bikini. It is... Uh... <laughs> It's just on another level, it really is, of what the fuck is happening. Um, and th that's the thing. In terms of quality, it looks, because it did have a budget, it's some, some sort of budget, it looks at times better and sounds at times better than the video and sound quality you, you'd get in a lot of these B-movies. But it's just so inconsistent. I think it's the most inconsistent in terms of video and sound quality I've ever heard. There are scenes where you can hear the cameraman breathing way too heavily while filming bikini-clad women just in the background and it is gross <laughs> it's just nasty um i really don't get what is going on most of the time uh it's it's baffling honestly um there's an extended sequence at a carnival where she's stalking them at night where they just don't have sound and just overlay music for way too long it's so weirdly long how drawn out that scene is because I think I just think it was a real carnival and their cameras couldn't catch anything over the actual carnival signs. <laughs> like <laughs> But yeah, yeah. A bunch of murders happen. Some by shark in water, some by one of the girls who's possessed by the shark. With, you know, looking just like a vampire. It, it's just yeah. Um But it's when it hits the final act that things get uh, I was gonna say even more bizarre, but honestly, I don't know, it's hard to judge. <laughs> There's so much random crap. There is a scene, right? The priest and the girl's friend find her and either stop her from murdering people or grab her after she murders people. It's unclear. And then they tie her up and they perform an exorcism. And then the priest just kind of goes, take me, 
like like in the exorcist and then the demon shark takes him but then right after taking him he like bites the girl's friend and it's unclear if i think now she was also possessed i don't know and then the shark i swear to god the shark just kind of flies out of this hole in the sky and like i don't know i think it like kills most of the main characters and there's still 15 minutes or so of film after that <laughs> And most of that time, it's just this this random, completely unconnected girl who goes to the lake and lies down, takes off her, you know, clothes and is lying there in her bikini. And the film just gives us so many shots of that woman just lying there in her bikini, sunbathing, that it started to get really uncomfortable to watch. And then this random guy turns up, starts taking like pictures of her, gets real in close while she's asleep, starts taking loads of pictures in her bikini, and then leaves. That man was not in the film before. That man's not in the film after. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> I, I swear to God, this is real. This is, this, this is actually what happened. And then <laughs> the woman wakes up and screams and the demonic nun is there and stabs her. And then one of the main girls comes out of the water and kills the demonic nun. She didn't know at any point. It was never mentioned, the demonic nun, over the course of the events of the rest of the film. But apparently she found out about her somehow and stopped her. And then she's possessed by the shark and starts killing people. And then the credits roll, but then there's this extended sequence with this weird girl who was in one scene earlier in the film going to an aquarium. Filled with sharks. This is... Yeah. <laughs> I can't stress enough how incredibly unclear it is what's going on. I... Like, it's so confusing what's happening, but even if it was clear, you know it would be, like, just so bad and unexplainable. Shark Exorcist is the sort of thing that prompts you into calling your doctor for a brain scan. Just because you want to check, you still know what is real and what is a tragic pile of shit shark movie. It ingrains itself into your brain like a parasite or, or a possession. Yeah, this movie is the hell that people who actually get possessed by demons, or at least get possessed by them in better movies, experience while they're under the influence of those cruel, twisted forces. It's like in The Good Place, how the demons are always trying to come up with new ways to torture bad people. It's by watching this. That's how they do it, yeah. Only I don't know what the horrible people who created this film get, because they probably actually like this. Somehow. Maybe. <laughs> it is... Not as bad. I did. I did Tsunami last week, and it's not as bad as that. That is maybe the worst film. That is the worst film I've ever seen. Tsunami. Shark Exorcist is close, though. It's it's really working for it. It's. I'm on a bad run. I haven't seen one recently for movies are bad that is actually like kind of funny or enjoyable in any way. I have just seen really rough ones. I am giving Shark Exorcist one out of ten, unsurprisingly, and I'd like to go home and and I I need it like a cold bath and a cigarette, because this film just feels like it absolutely raw-dogged my brain. <laughs> It's ranking time! <laughs> 
So, here's something I actually did in May when I caught meningitis and had to lie around doing nothing for weeks. I watched TikTok, and it's horrible and filled with random crap until you watch more and then it kind of tailors itself to things you like and one of the things it did for me was give me a lot of horror movie recommendations nor i consider myself in general to be a a proud horror aficionado you know but just not not just in the terrible horror movie department although i'm getting surprisingly knowledgeable about those I'm a big fan of things like 80s horror, I've even watched all the Friday the 13th movies, and I can tell you that they are indeed pretty much all the same, but I kind of love them anyway. Uh, but that's the thing, horror movies, they're easy to make, they don't need big budgets, and so there are always going to be some you've missed. And TikTok helped me recently to find some of those horror movies I was way less likely to ever see otherwise, and while I was sick I partook in a whole bunch of them, and decided I wanted to make it into like a episode of the podcast but never actually did so we're doing it now and today we're ranking 10 different random horror movies that tiktok recommended for me 10. so first up is the deep house and this film it's kind of a classic case of the horror genre trying something actually new and unique but really hard to get right I applaud them for that anyway. I think it's a shame it didn't work out as well as I wanted. It was released in 2021, and it's a French film, but in English language. It's about a couple of YouTubers who travel around Europe visiting paranormal locations. They find out about an area of homes which were submerged under a lake in South France, and they're really bummed when they find out it's a really touristy spot because they're massive hipsters. But they meet this guy who offers to take them up the lake to a house there, and they go and dive down into this haunted house at the bottom of the lake. It's Avatar 2, you know, it's, it's underwater for most of the film, but it doesn't have the capabilities to make the shots look as amazing as they did in Avatar 2. I can't exactly blame them for not having James Cameron's budget, but, like, the problem is, you know, you don't get allowances for that. You know, if, if you're going to try and do something which you don't have to make in this style, which is really difficult to film, then I can't really say... Oh, but they tried. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if if it just doesn't look good and if it's just too dark and the shots aren't great a lot of the time, like that's just you know too bad. The, the the super rich are the only ones that can afford this kind of technology to really do underwater films well for now. And yeah, it's kind of sad. And because the story, it's it's not actually bad. You know, I think this would have made like a cool book because it actually is a really fun sort of unique story idea. It's a little slow-paced, but it built up quite well, you know? The problem is that the chase sequences, in particular, with these drowned bodies coming after them, doesn't look really as terrifying as it should and would feel in that situation. But I enjoyed the idea, and I'm sad to put it at the bottom of this list, because it sounds awesome, you know? It's just these two go down there, and they find all these satanic symbols in the house, and then they find these corpses, all weirdly well-preserved, and then the corpses come to life and start hunting them down. It could have been really cool, but unfortunately, I, I gotta admit, it was quite a letdown, really. And just, yeah, it just ends up being a little too slow-paced for me, even though it's not that long. Which is, is a shame, because it is a cool idea, and I would love to see this, like, remade in ten years. Because I think it could be really well done. Maybe with more people as well. Having only the two of them didn't work too well in the end. But I'm giving the Deep House 3 out of 10. Nine. Next up... <laughs> Okay. Have you ever wished you could see Nicolas Cage playing an autistic character in a Five Nights at Freddy's ripoff? <laughs> wow. <laughs> 
Willy's Wonderland gives you just that. That's right, the FNAF movie isn't even out yet, but they took so long getting there and making it that Big Nick Cage managed to steal it from under them, just like he stole the Declaration of Independence. What a legend. Also, what a weird career trajectory the man has taken. I looked up while watching this his filmography just recently, and it's so strange, because while still appearing in major films in the last few years, like Renfield and The Croods 2, and finally getting his weird huzzah as Superman moment in The Flash, and starring in, like, moving proper good indie movies like Pig, he's also starred in dumbass revenge western The Old Whale this year, a movie where he plays himself, which was actually amazing. And this insane thing. Willie's Wonderland is about a man who does not hardly speak. And his car breaks down and to get it fixed, the local mechanic in this town tells him he can pay the debt by cleaning up the old animatronics restaurant. As a night shift worker. Gotta wonder if the restaurant's closed. Why does he have to clean it at night? Uh-oh. And then he goes in and the eight animatronics still in there come to life and start attempting to homicidally murder him. Went well, homicidally murder, that's redundant. Anyway, uh, and, and at that point, you, you go from thinking, oh, this is going to be like a real, like, oh, God, run and hide from them thing. No, 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 no. <laughs> he just absolutely fucking bodies them and keeps cleaning. <laughs> I don't get it. This film is so insane. He's literally just this silent character who Nicolas Cage said in an interview he was playing as if he was like an autistic character, which is interesting, who just just individually has these fight scenes where he beats the absolute ever-loving shit out of each of these animatronics and then just keeps cleaning. Keeps cleaning the restaurant. And then there's these teenagers who know what's going on in this town and they... They go because they want to burn the place down, but then they go inside to try and get him out before they burn the place down. And once they go in, they just kind of go, yeah, okay, so anyway. And two of them go, oh, yeah, let's go have sex. And like, and they just split up. Like, they they knew what was going on in here. They knew these things were, like, dangerous, and they wanted to burn it down so no one was ever killed again. And then they just go inside, and they're like, oh, let's, yeah, fuck around and split up and get fucking murdered. <laughs> it's so insane. It's very much like the the kind of movies are bad movie that I love. It's so terrible and nonsensical and weird, but it's really funny because it's just so insanely dumb. And I think, to be fair to them, it was kind of on purpose how dumb and insane and weird it was. So I have to give them some level of kudos. But it, it is nuts. It, it is so nuts, I have to say that. Um, and I just, I love Nicolas Cage. You know, a lot of his films like this are just pretty bad. But I love Nicolas Cage. What a man. He is fully accepted that he is just the memeiest actor in the world. And it's hilarious. I'm giving Willy's Wonderland a very confused 4 out of 10. 8. And Significant Other is next. Uh, now, this film, it's it started out as normal, got a little weird and then strode confidently into being all-out bizarre in the third act. Significant Other is a Paramount Plus movie, so way outside my normal radar. Um, it stars Micah Monroe and Jake Lacey, which sounded pretty good, though a weird pair. It's about a couple that goes hiking to this beautiful spot where the boyfriend proposes. Unfortunately, his girlfriend Ruth is a little kind of... Uh, she gets panic attacks, and she's anxiety-filled, and she says no, making the whole long-ass return hike really awkward. <laughs> 
Yeah. And they've been together like six years, I think, or so. So it's kind of weird she said no. But they'd also talked in the past about not needing to get married. So, yeah, it doesn't matter. That's not the important part. Believe me. Anyway, the next day, after they see some strange stuff, she asks him if he'd like to propose again. And they go back up to the CMO for look. And then she pushes him off the cliff to his death. What? This film had a lot of mysterious twists throughout the first half that were so fascinating, it really kept me engaged. You know, it was a really cool idea. This feeling that she's just somehow different or something is wrong and where that could lead. I mean, there's a scene at the very beginning. First scene in the film is this thing crash landing to Earth and you see a tentacle killing a deer. So you kind of get the gist of what's maybe going on, but still it managed to be mysterious and the twists were really well executed. Unfortunately, and just because I'm... I'm kind of quite quickly ranking these. I don't need to delve too deeply into it. Um, but what you're left with in the third act, after the film kind of plays most of its cards, is just fairly weird. I still liked some of it, but the tone just shifts so drastically and introduces all of these more comedic elements to replace the thrilling mystery of the early part of the film. It was quite random. I, I know that mysterious thrillers have a hard time with the third act, but this was a veer-off in one weird-ass direction. So I'm only giving Significant Other a 5 out of 10. But it's got some really interesting ideas, again, like some of these other ones that, even though it didn't make for a great film overall, I really liked some of the ideas quite a lot. Seven. Okay. There are so many haunted house and friends getting killed off by creepy things films that it's easy to go, okay, whatever, not, not bother with watching it. But I decided to watch Haunt, because I was feeling ill at the time and thought it would be an easy viewing bit of spooky fun. It's about a group of six young attractive people who on Halloween night find this secluded haunted house attraction. After they are made to surrender their phones, they go inside and start getting picked off by the sadistic cult of face-modifying people who run the joint and like to rip the faces off their victims. <laughs> yeah. And it really isn't anything all that complicated, but it is a pretty well-written like, version of one of these types of movies. It's, it's strange, okay? It's, it, it's kinda, it is weird, because in stark contrast to a lot of these other movies I'm talking about today, that were really unique kind of indie films that had a lot of different ideas for the horror genre, this one very much didn't. But, <laughs> as much as it wasn't a danger, really, of an original thought... It was a pretty well-written script, pretty reasonably well-written characters, and a pretty fun time that kind of, it just managed to keep the tension high enough and not really be overly scary, but yeah, fairly like thrilling in a quite a basic way. Um, but yeah, it, it ended up being quite fun. I'm not sure if I'd really bother rewatching it, but if you put it on again, I wouldn't turn it off. It's that kind of level. Um, there have been better versions of all the things that were done here, but... You know, it, it, it was kind of decent. Eli Roth was one of the producers for this, and I feel like that tells you a lot of what you need to know, you know? Um, and I did like the ramping up from, huh? To, well, something's wrong, to, holy shit! Um, and yeah, after that kind of chaos breaks out for a little while, you know? Um, it Some of the stuff, it doesn't make sense. There was this kind of subplot about the final girl and how one of the killers had been, like, following her around for some time before they got here. It's unclear how they then manipulated to turn her friends into turning up here on this night. And and then one of the sets in their haunted house is, like, modeled after her childhood bedroom. So, like, there's some stuff that's really just never explained even, a, like, a little bit. But apart from apart from some of that, it was, uh, it was a pretty good time. It's kooky and spooky. It manages to feel fun and interesting without 
ever, yeah, ever being in danger of anything original at all. Um, but I'm giving Haunt 6 out of 10. 6. Incident in a Ghost Land is next. And it isn't the first time in this set of movies that I really wished more of the film was like the beginning. Um, the start of this film, it's absolutely terrifying. It's a Canadian film about a mother and her two daughters who arrive in their new home only for this creepy duo in a candy truck to break in and attack them. And that opening sequence is so frightening. It was like out of these 10 different horror movies, it was one of the few genuinely hair-raising bits out of any of them for me. Um, fortunately, their mother fights off the intruders and 16 years later, Beth returns home to visit her mother who still looks after her sister because she can't stop reliving that night. Creepy things start happening, confusing things which really freak Beth out and make her begin to think that either her mother or sister is completely nuts or maybe both. I won't go Again, I don't want to go too far into the details of spoilers, in case anyone decides to watch this. But there is a big, a big twisty twist, you know, that, that led to the whole film turning upside down. And I quite enjoyed it, you know, I was interested, I thought it made a lot of sense. I really liked the direction it went, uh, I loved the beginning, and then it, it it's paced reasonably well and you go oh when stuff happens and then the third act is is pretty good as well i just and this is the thing i i don't normally make a big complaint out of this in horror movies okay so you know what's serious when i do the main character is so fucking stupid <laughs> and i know it's a it's a whole thing it's like yeah yeah but that's that's true a lot of the time in horror movies but she's so stupid and I literally just was rolling my eyes and spent, like, the whole second half of the film just kind of going, oh, my God, you are kidding me, like, about what she was doing. It just didn't feel as much as the bigger ideas in the script were all pretty much correct for me. The, just the minor details of what she actually chose to do, it just didn't feel like she was, like, a real person. You know, it felt like she was a dumb movie character and they weren't trying to really do anything innovative to to make her feel like, I don't know, <laughs> a relatable or interesting character at all at that point. So that was really annoying. Um, overall, though, it still does some really cool stuff, and I'm giving Incident in the Ghostland 6 out of 10. 5. House on the Bayou is next. It came out in 2021, and it's about a family who come on vacation to Louisiana to help mend after the husband had an affair with one of his students. If your husband's having an affair with students in the class he teaches, like, really? You try to stay with him? Wow. Uh, anyway, when they get there, they meet Isaac and Grandpappy, a strange pair that manipulate the family into joining them for dinner, and then they start to psychologically torture them. This was a weird film that jumped about a little too much with twists back and forth, but it did some interesting things again, and it played on the fact that Louisiana and the bayous feel very much like a natural setting for something kind of religiously evil, you know, steeped in that sort of thing. Uh, it was fairly well scripted, because a lot of it is just them talking, and, you know, and the despicable husband character, oh, he's so annoying. You just have to hate him so much the whole time. Um, as, I mean, there's been a few of them like this, as another extra twisty film, I, I, know, I don't want to say too much again, but the creepy ramping up was pretty well done. It It's not really scary, um, but... It, the thrilling kind of psychological factor was there, and it was it was done pretty well. 
Um, I do think it overplayed some of its cards a little bit, but it's a lot better than some of them. It was a Bloomhouse television production, and I've seen quite a few of those, and I don't like most of them, so this was pretty good comparatively. And I gotta say, like, throughout... Mm, I, I felt like the characters were better written in this one. I think I watched it on the same day as Incident in Ghostland, so I was kind of directly comparing them. And yeah, it made me realize like, yeah, okay, no, the the kind of the wife is the real heroic character, and she's much better written in general. I think much more just willing to do whatever it takes to get her and her daughter out of this situation than uh, than you would generally find in some in some shittier horror movies. So that's why I like this one more, and I'm giving a house on the Bayou six out of ten. Four. Rent a pal. Rent-A-Pal is one of the stranger things I've ever seen. It's set in 1990. There's this lonely guy who is a caregiver for his mother, and he's been using a video dating service to try and meet women with no luck. He, and he genuinely seems like this real sympathetic character who just can't quite catch a break, and he's stuck living with his mother to help her out because he doesn't want her to go to a home or anything, and he can't afford it anyway. And uh, then he finds this tape called Rent-A-Pal, in which Will Wheaton, randomly, uh, appears in a psychological horror film. Um, Will Wheaton sits and talks to the viewer and leaves pauses for them to talk back, giving the impression that they have a friend. So, basically, Rent-A-Pal is about the parasocial relationships that people form with content creators, believing them to be their friends even though they've never met them. But it's set in the 1990s before any of that was even really possible. It is... Bizarre, but really well made. David sinks further into believing this guy Andy is his friend, watches the tape loads of times, and Andy, in the tape, starts to say things that, you know, aren't the normal things he says every other time he's watched the tape. But he doesn't get freaked out about that because he's kind of going insane. And that's the best part about this one for me, is the film leaves it pretty open-ended whether David is just going crazy or being possessed or both there's nothing that actually states for sure whether the tape is like supernatural or if he's just going nuts and i like that it leaves you wondering and thinking about it long after you finish watching it and there's a genuine nice feel to parts of the film there's these nice scenes like when he finally meets a girl and starts dating her which just made it feel even sadder and more distressing to watch the main character kind of slowly go insane than this sort of film normally bothers with, you know? But when when people get possessed, sometimes films fuck up by not really getting you attached to the character before they get possessed. This this did it really well. I definitely recommend checking this really weird movie out, and I'm giving Rip to Pal 7 out of 10. Three. Third spot on our list of these ones that I've kind of seen and had recommended to me on TikTok is The Empty Man. And I gotta say, okay, it's a long movie, you don't have to go watch it, but if you get the chance, check out the opening sequence in The Empty Man. It had the best opening sequence I've ever seen in a horror movie. It was phenomenal. It has this group of friends going hiking in Bhutan in the 90s. They see this strange inhuman skeleton and one of them becomes all weird after seeing it. And then they get bogged down in the snowstorm and start seeing more things. I mean, it was a fairly long sequence for a prologue scene, but it was incredibly well done. If it had just been a short film, that just opening maybe maybe twenty minutes, that would have that would have been absolutely incredible on its own. But it was just this 
beginning bit, you know? The Empty Man is actually based on a creepy graphic novel, and it takes a strange view of the teenager summon demon get fucked up by demon trope. You know, it's got this whole... It's it's got the kind of normal, you know, creepy tagline on the first night you hear him, on the second night you see him, on the third night he finds you. And that's basically the deal, you know? But it instead of following the teenagers who summon this thing, it follows a, a former detective whose family recently died. And he's trying to find his neighbor's daughter after her and her friends summon this thing. And that's basically what happens. He blows into a bottle on a bridge and summons the empty man and then hears, sees, and is fine by him in that order. It does feel like it was adapted from something because there's so much cool stuff in here that isn't explored on the level it could be. Even so, it's surprisingly long for a horror movie. I think it must have hit 2 hours 20. But it is interesting. It gets a little too crazy in the third act and maybe doesn't explain some of the graphic novel's ideas well enough. But it was still a really interesting watch and I'm giving The Empty Man 7 out of 10. Two. Hell House LLC gets second on this list. And, uh, let me tell you. I don't like found footage horror movies. I think Paranormal Activity is dumb as shit, and I just never even really got the appeal of The Blair Witch. Bear that in mind when I tell you that Hell House LLC is actually an amazingly cool horror movie. Why? Because instead of just being found footage, it presented the whole thing as a documentary, exploring the what really happened that night when the Hell House attraction opened and 15 tour members as well as most of its crew died. It's a really well-built film, you know? Documentaries about the most mundane things intrigue us when they're made correctly. So inventing the incident behind it and making the movie as if it was a documentary about that, it's perfect. It's so well done. And most of the film is made up of the footage in found footage style taken by this crew, who they go and build a new haunted house attraction at a different location every Halloween. But as they prepare for opening night, a variety of strange occurrences happen, prompting the belief that the hotel they're turning into an attraction could really be haunted. And I mean, not everything about it and about the mystery behind it is explained in this documentary style thing. But it was such a cool and unique idea for a horror movie. It actually blew me away. I, I was so surprised and I loved it. And I'd love to see more done like this. And I think there was actually a couple of sequels that I might check out. But for now, I'm giving Hell House LLC 8 out of 10. One. But the best of the lot. Ding, 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 folks. We have a winner is Alone. Alone came out in 2020. The guy who wrote the screenplay adapted it from his own 2011 Swedish film called Gone and may have improved upon it. Um, I've, I've never truly loved an American adaption of a Scandinavian thriller, but whoa, okay? Uh, this really blew me away. It's about a woman who is moving after her husband's death and has several run-ins on the road with a man who increasingly creeps her out before he just straight up crashes into her car and drugs her and kidnaps her and leaves her in a basement. And uh, that opening sequence, it sounds like, oh, that's just like Jewel or, or that Road Rage film that Russell Crowe's in. I can't remember the name of that one. But there, there's been a bunch of, there's a maniac on the road that's following me. There's been a bunch of those films before. But that's only the first like 20 minutes. And you think, okay, so it's about her being kidnapped and held against her will. We've seen that film before too. True. But that's only like 10, 15 minutes. And then the bulk of the film, uh, the last like hour, more, is what happens after she manages to escape from him. Because then it becomes this cat and mouse game where he's trying to find her again and she's trying to escape from the woods around this secluded cabin where he was holding her. And holy crap, okay? It 
it is so well done. This is an absolutely bonkers film. It's one of the best thrillers I've seen in years. As just a pure thriller. It blew me away with everything from those creepy early interactions, which did feel like a really good version of an updated, like, Jewel or something like that, all the way through to the final act, which has some great, mind-blowing moments. And the tension is just ratcheted up to 11 out of a possible 5, the whole film. And I find it so difficult with these hidden gems because I, I do want to talk about it even more, but also feel like I maybe shouldn't spoil the whole damn thing. So I won't, but I will say that the whole thing from script to minimal number of actors to direction is completely on point. And I'm actually going to look up more of what the director and writer have done before because holy crap, there's there's some just amazing sequences. One where they're near this river and she has to jump in and try to survive that. One where she finds this actual person, this hunter, and tries to get him to help her. Oh, but the guy convinces the guy that she's crazy. It's, oh my goodness. It it feels like it touches on so many great ideas about, like, the problems that women have with <laughs> with uh, with um, all kinds of things modern day, with mansplaining, with just dealing with men who want to exert their power over them, with all that kind of crap. And the ending. Oh, oh. a lot of these kind of thrillers they do fall apart slightly in the last 30 minutes. This just gets stronger and stronger in the last 30 minutes and really blows you away. It was so well executed. I loved it so much. And I'm giving alone 9 out of 10. I don't, you know, horror movies, I love watching horror movies, but I don't give them high marks often. So 9 out of 10 is actually sick. <laughs> and it, I, I, it's one of my best, maybe my best, hidden gem find of the year. <coughs> I haven't been this excited by a older horror film that I found since uh, the original Black Christmas, probably. when I, The 1974 one, when I found out about that last year. Oh, I loved it. But it's been half a year since I've found any horror hidden gems that have blown me away this much. It is amazing. And I loved it. And I would love to do something like this again. Wherever you're watching this or listening to this, comment somewhere on socials or something. Give me horror recommendations. I'd love to do either another... One of these, once I gather up enough TikTok recommendations again, or potentially uh, a commenter's recommendations horror movies ranking. Something like that. That'd be great. I'd love to do that. For now, that's all for this episode, and I hope you enjoyed. I would definitely recommend checking out quite a lot of those horror movies, actually. Um, even things like The Deep House, Significant Other, um, and Incident in a Ghostland had so many cool ideas, even if they weren't executed maybe as well as they could be. Uh, and then those, like, final, maybe final four, Rent-A-Pal, The Empty Man, Hell House LLC, and Alone were all amazing. Highly recommend checking them out. Most of them are available on various streaming services and things. It's where I was watching most of them. Um, but, yeah. Thank you guys so much for watching this episode. Next week, um, next week, I'm not quite sure. There's, there's a few different films coming out in August. Uh, I think I'll be tackling Gran Turismo, which I'm not particularly excited about, but we'll be interested in seeing if it can surprise me. Um, the New Haunted Mansion, which, again, not that interested in checking out, but... Yeah, watching back the Eddie Murphy one, I don't think it could be much worse than that, right? Uh, we'll also be watching, I swear to God, I'm going to try and find it, a film called Cocaine Shark, <laughs> running with our current theme of terrible shark movies. And I'm going to be ranking Netflix movies from the first half of this year, because a lot of stuff's come out on Netflix. I've ignored some of it on the podcast, and I'd like to catch up a bit and kind of do a retrospective of the months between January and June on Netflix. 
Because they released some good stuff and some tragic stuff. But for now, I thank you guys very much for watching. Check out Movies Are Good and check me out on Pie Man Games on YouTube. And uh, I'll see you for another episode next week.